suppose there's no point in the big preamble. Everybody knows the crack. Uh, we are the recording and mixing engineers for Amp Studio. Uh, my name is Craig Sheridan, and joining me today is Sean McDonald. Uh, this is the Amp Studio podcast, and this month we are making great preparations to get back into the studio space. Um, so uh, in this episode, we'll be talking about well, loads of things, but moving back into the space, how we're going to do that, some of the training that's coming out on Amps, um, and some of the things that's been keeping us going now that we're moving from lockdown back into something close to what we used to have or called normal. Yeah, um, and um, we also have a few questions sent in by some of the people watching some of the previous episodes there, so we'll get answering those too. Yep, yeah. uh, this one is like going on slightly later than the normal, purely because we were making sure that the space was going to be treated before we would give out any information. Um, so for, straight off the bat, I suppose we best get this information out of the way. Um, we had a space survey done and we are totally fine to host up to four people in our control room where I'm sitting right now and then in our live space, which you can see through the window at the back there way in there so we can have up to four people in both rooms now the four people the fourth person in this room also well obviously includes the engineer um so if there's a five-piece band then between the two rooms we can accommodate us all but we've also got a big hall space outside that we can rotate um it's kind of a standard affair uh, as you would be expecting these days you come in up the stairs you sanitize your hands as you come in uh everybody comes in kind of stays a meter apart and we can accommodate that in the space um, there's the recording in there, we record in here, everything's sweet. Uh, we're also opening for rehearsals again then, um, uh-huh. and as part of the rehearsals, Sean's going to be running that anyway, so anyone who needs to book in some practice space, uh, get in touch with Sean, there'll be links underneath here about how you can do that. Um, uh, and we can accommodate again up to four people in the rehearsal space, and on each of the microphones we have disposable mic covers that we can um, get rid of after you've been singing and spitting and biting and whatever people do on microphones when we're not watching. Um, after every recording session and after every practice session then obviously the gear and the equipment gets wiped down um, and that just adds a wee bit more time onto the, the whole scenario but it's the safest way to operate and we'd rather keep people healthy and keep ourselves healthy uh, so we can continue to move on. Uh, Sean have you got anything to add about that? Um, not really. Um, there's a bit of a change to the rates um, for the rehearsal space so anyone looking to begin it is £30 for a free hour session so um, so just, again, anyone looking to use the rehearsal space, just get in touch and uh, we'll begin for a wee slot. Excellent. And that's open uh, seven days a week um, from 10 in the morning until 10 during the week, I think it is. Is that, is that right? I know, well, nine? until 9 during the week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, and then is it 6 on Saturday, Sunday? Uh, five. Just five. Okay. Yes. So obviously, I'm the one that gets locked in a lot. <laughs> uh, and you can't get locked in all night. That's just not. This place is haunted upon. Um. So, uh, moving on. Then, what have you been doing with yourself, uh, since our last podcast? Huh? Quite a lot, actually. Um, it's been quite a busy month, uh, for me. And personally, um, I've been getting back into live music scene which has been very strange the last few weeks um so getting back just doing the bar gigs and you know doing the cover stuff um but being well protected uh that that's something uh you know obviously a sign of the times and uh very positive to see some of the measures that some of the bars are taking to protect performers Mm -hmm. um and you know, it's every everything's a bit up in the air at the moment, so nobody really knows what the real legalities and stuff of um, of live performances and stuff is. But there's a sort of consensus that you know, one and two piece performers and 
DJs and stuff is is okay as long as the audience yeah. is socially distant. Yeah. Um, and one measure that really surprised me uh, that one of bars took was they set us up on the stage, and then once we got up there, they covered all three sides of the stage with these right. big plastic coverings. Right. You know, you ever see that scene in the Blues Brothers where they've got the chicken wire <laughs> covering the stage? <laughs> It was like that, but only protecting us from people spitting at us or whatever. Um, No one's throwing drinks in that scenario because they're waiting 40 minutes for the paint to be delivered. (laughs) I know, we don't want to be getting that away. Um, But it's good to see some of the bars taking out um, measures to protect performers. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's just a bit strange, you know. Yes. And, you know, you're uh, thinking to yourself, and you know, doing all the normal things of shouting out, right? Let's get up and dance for this one. And then you're going, oh, no, <laughs> Watch no, don't actually work. do that. <laughs> Grab a person next to you and, and have a wee. And you're like, no, that's not. Uh, I've been uh, lucky enough to be DJ in the past few weeks. We went to I think the past three weeks, um, and it's the same idea. We're uh, we're kind of we set up in a smoking area. Most of my DJ gigs seem to be outside. So ever I, my first proper paying gig was outside too. And I thought, well, this is a nice change, and it's been like, I've been DJing outside ever since. Um, but yeah. it's been really good to be outside. People love being outside. Um, and I'm DJing in jailhouse predominantly, and they have the the smoking area. But there's maybe only six tables that could hold a, a maximum of six people. But from Lower North Street all the way through to um, Ann Street. There's Joy's Andrew that runs the whole way down there, and there's benches yeah. the whole way down throughout. So there's, it's always full of people. People want to be out and be amongst it. So most of the smokers actually stay in the entry, and most of the people who are down for something a bit more social stay in the space. Uh, but it is a very um, strange and time, but people still want to be out and be social. So I suppose there's, there's, it's very nice to see even when people are interacting with each other, even when they've had some drinks. Obviously, they can't drink at the same rate. But they're still giving each other space and accommodating each other getting past and, and being very civil that way. So it's quite pleasant. It's quite nice. Uh, the bank holiday weekend is going to be interesting. Um, I'm not quite sure what the, the measures are because I remember last weekend there was the big announcement. Uh, we are recording this just before the bank holiday weekend um, that uh, we may have to slow things down again. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how practical that's going to be over a bank holiday weekend. But we'll find out, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Have you got gigs on this weekend? I do. I'm playing this Sunday. Um, so we've got a wee residency up in the bar in West Belfast. So this will be the third week of four, um, that we're in there. Yeah. So yeah, uh, same as usual. Um, I'm looking forward to the it and, um, sort of it's been dead on, but, um, yeah, things are getting a bit uncertain now, aren't they? Um, about, uh, you know, cases on the rise again and uh, things like that. So we'll have to just keep our ear to the ground and see, how things are going but there's no real direction to say like yeah. you know yeah. black and white this is okay and this isn't mm-hmm. okay so yeah i and it's just that uncertainty that makes things stressful because um, you don't know even if we're if we're booked to do gigs then you can't exactly get up the next morning and do uh, a missing session or a coaching session because your ears are still tired from the night before so it's just trying to it's even strange trying to plan that time um yeah. but that's why we kind of even in the, the past podcast, we were saying, you know, there's the kind of two-week turnaround for mixes that gives you time that your ears can recover and you can get back into the mix again anyway. So if there's any recording projects or 
I think what's, what's been very common is that a lot of people have been streaming, which seems to have died down of late, but there's still a lot of people streaming gigs and streaming performances. Um, and I suppose one of the things that, that people never really do after that is maybe even compile them into like a, a show read for themselves. Sometimes these things are, are casually done. Um, but that's certainly something that we can help you with if, if you want to get in touch about how you take those recordings and put them onto one cohesive album. Um, I say album, I mean collection. Um, so that at least you can document that whether you want to release that as a, a cover series or whether you want to release that as a, a series of gigs. There's always ways that we can archive that and make them sound as good as possible. Yeah, um, I, I think I think that's a criticism of a lot of, you know, performers is that you know when you get something done, you want to just put it all out at the one time. So even with those late, um, those live shows and stuff, you know, you, you could very easily be splitting those up and putting them up as clips on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like when you know, people get photo shoots done. They put up the whole album of photos <laughs> instead of like, you know, using one for one release and then, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's, but you know, uh, definitely not as a tip to, to maybe split up all those uh, long pieces of content that you've got. Yeah. Uh, speaking of doing things over a longer time, um, one of the things that's been keeping me busy is um, I've been actively trying to write a load of sketches of a, of a morning um, and timing up myself that, you know, give myself 20 minutes, half hour to come up with a musical idea and then um, do this every single morning so that the, my, my rate of getting ideas out is much quicker. Um, and I've reduced my options and I've got kind of set up like a virtual band. So this is going to be the drum sounds I use, these are going to be the synth sounds I use. And I'm not going to write ideas. And I've been doing it for three months, maybe nine weeks. And it is starting to yield some very good results. Um, I'm now in the, the process of taking those sketches and make them into full songs, but I was working with um, uh, a client who has been engaging with me for a, a long time, maybe maybe since the very start of lockdown, actually. Um, and he's working through a six-week release, release schedule. So the idea was he was supposed to go on to a retreat, um, and he was going to be networking with these people on a retreat, and he wanted to have uh, an EP finished for that. So uh, we thought, well, do you know what? Let's use that same date and let's go for six weeks and let's get the tracks finished and get them out in six weeks. Uh, and having that cut off date and that accountability has stepped them up in the gear that I've never seen them operate in before. It's really, really encouraging. Yeah. Um, so I'm running this as a kind of as a pilot idea to see how practical that is. That over a very fixed time with a very certain outcome, how practical is that? Um, but it's also inspired me to kind of keep up with them too. So I've got a bunch of these sketches. And I'm thinking, if I'm coaching him in six weeks, maybe I should follow those same instructions. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at uh, for, for this week. It's going to be keeping me busy, just organizing those, choosing my favorites, and then deciding how I move on with those. Um, you were saying that you have a release just out, is that correct? Yeah, so um, with the act that I play around the bars with, predominantly doing covers, um, myself and Matt, the guy I had to play with, we decided to show each other a few of our ideas uh, for songs recently and um, we just collaborated a few months ago and before lockdown and just recording um, a single and um, it had been in the background obviously because of lockdown for a long time and there was a few bits to add and um, slowly but surely you know we just says right we'll try and do this remotely and we're sending things back and forward um, to each other and um, I managed to piece together the thing um just before lockdown uh, finished so um, if it was it was two weeks later you know we would have been able to um actually get together and do it properly in one <laughs> session but 
and managed to eventually get that all mixed together and uh, um, got it put out there two weeks ago. Um, so that, that was brilliant uh, to get that. So it's called Closer and the, the band's called I. And uh, so if you want to get a Y E I. So if you want to get a lot of Spotify, go yeah. on ahead. We should probably link that, um, and then you can get that directly off the off the the link that you're watching this from. Yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, and are you once again the songwriter, recording engineer, producer, well, Matt, mixer? Matt wrote uh, Matt wrote the song, um, but I uh, recorded the as uh, the the guitars and the and sang on it with Matt, and then uh, we got. Uh, two of her friends, Chris Anderson and uh, James Downey, in uh, to record the drums, the bass, and the keys for it. So Lovely. and do a bit of back and vocals. So mm-hmm. yeah, real good collaborative effort. Like happy days. It's nice to be productive again, isn't it? Thank you. Um, so that moves us very nicely, Sean, onto what's been inspiring you. Yeah, I think um, putting that out really has has been um, a great motivator because. Uh, and it's also been a weird experience because um, never released anything, obviously, during a global pandemic. And, um, <laughs> she had me. <laughs> and, you know, you're used to the whole buildup of a release schedule of, you know, sending things out and, you know, handling uh, the actual release of the song itself with trying to promote a launch gig or whatever else and the stress of both of those. Um, and I found actually not having um, the added pressure of, you know, having a show to run at the same time um, actually helped, you know, yeah. boost the song a bit more. You put a lot more effort and because we're a small outfit, you know, mm-hmm. of, um, of an act. So we're only doing this, the two of us. Uh, so we were able to focus a lot more on, you know, put a lot more of our manners into actually pushing the song on social media and making a wee compilation of clips of us in the studio and putting that out as a video Mm -hmm. and we've done a wee live stream uh gig and uh different wee things like that and we were able to send it to more outlets and stuff and uh torture people to give us reviews so like (laughs) have you written it have you written it so yeah, and like that, that, it was it was strange, but um, actually quite, uh, quite productive on the side of you know numbers ways of getting more people mm-hmm. engaged with it. Yeah, excellent. Um, do you think that if what would be required to put a show on and do all that, would you just need someone else to organise the show? I, I think, um, a lot of local bands need to consider that option as well of maybe not doing a show to release it at the same time because. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're taking cues from bigger acts mm-hmm. who have bigger the team and mm-hmm. yeah, and and the resources to be able to do that. But yeah. you know, when when you're you know a lot of bands, you know, it's it's one person doing a lot of the work. Yeah. So like to be able to to promote the thing, the um, and also be promoting and organizing a show at the same time and a whole tour. Sometimes yeah. like it, it's it's a lot. It's not really the best idea. Mm-hmm. Which actually reminds me of this podcast. On um, in the first few episodes, obviously we we're figuring out our way, and I was doing everything. But in this episode, Sean's going to be editing. So, yeah. 
actually, um, I, I actually put in some weight for once, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we've drafted in um, a few helpers along the way too. Uh, so Jack McGarry is going to be helping us posting it. Th- Posted through the socials, um, and we have Luke lined up too, um, who we haven't uh, assigned a role yet, uh, but I know he's been in the background, kind of waiting to jump on it as soon as he can get out of the house. Um, so yes, it's it's. Sal and I had the same conversation just last week about sometimes you have to learn to delegate and to give these things uh, to someone else and let them develop, and then you you know are free then to do other things. So I thought, okay, let's do the same thing and let's kind of pass off some of these jobs and see how we get on. So I'm very mm-hmm. excited to see how the edit turns out. So. Um, but speaking okay, of things organised and gigs, we were very fortunate to be involved with uh, the Villa gig up in Clannard Monastery. It was my first time in the monastery and it's an absolutely gorgeous building. Uh, some of the artwork in there and just the, the, even the ambience in the place is absolutely stunning. Uh, we rolled up with two massive big Mackies and two subs and a stack of microphones uh, to record um, an acoustic gig, I think it's a, a fair way to say it. Obviously everything was still mic'd and, and recorded that way. But it was a location recording and we had turned up and it was the first one that we had done since lockdown. And I have to say, I was very nervous about it, Sean. How were you when you were, well, how were you when you got the, the, the call through for the job? Um, I thought it was a big undertaking. Yeah. And it reminded me of a job I had done previously in another, in a church um, on the Shankle. And we had recorded a choir there with like right. a, a small string ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um and that was a really difficult job that ended right. up, the mix process ended up lasting a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I was getting into something of that magnitude again, yeah. but only with a much stricter deadline. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I have to say, um, the whole project turned out very successful. And, and it would, I think us, the crew, the musicians and the, yeah organizers work that thing out very professionally yeah um shout out to Farrell clark who helped us with uh, mobility issues that day he got us there about with big speakers um it was very very refreshing to work with musicians of of that caliber um and to turn up and once we had set up and we had done our job just give them the space to be the musicians that they are uh, and it was a treat to listen to the music as well um Having the recording done too uh, was a wee bit stressful because obviously uh, it's alright to mix for the environment you're in, but once we took that back and looked at it again, the performances were so consistent that it made the job much easier to work with. So I'm actually going to read a blog post off the back of that about the, the lessons that I learned off the back of that, and I'll post that up on Giving Hands and I'll link that through um, the rest of these two. But it was a very great learning experience and to be honest I think the nerves were because like you were saying it's a high profile gig there's quicker turnaround time it had to work but when we got there as soon as we got into action all them nerves dropped off and it was a very mm-hmm. enjoyable experience to be there and, and to be privileged to be part of that um, and I suppose that reflects into anything that you're doing creatively most of the nerves and most of that stress are come from the uncertainty but once you get there and get your teeth into it all the activity takes away from the, the tension of that yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think um, experience as well sort of helps in that scenario where you know that you have all the bases covered. Oh, yeah. You know, like everything is okay. And you always have that niggling thing of, you know, have I missed something? Like, <laughs> but um, I think if you, if you do 
if you are assured of yourself and think that, you know, I know that everything is, is fine here, then you're able to enjoy the experience a lot more yeah. and, um, and just give the musicians a platform just to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And when we were working with such professionals, um, they made our job a lot easier. Yep. Um, we'll stick a, a link to the YouTube broadcast of, of that Clannard event um, in the link here if you fancy checking it out too. Um, it was a lovely thing to be involved in and I'm very grateful that we were called in to do it. Um, was there anything that you learned from that session, Sean, that, that you either got confirmed or you discovered you were doing it right or you done for the first time that worked out very well? Um, hmm. uh, I think one of the lessons, um, one of the things that were done that I think was very helpful, it didn't end up uh, being used in the end, but was a very smart idea was to have backup recordings mm-hmm. um, solutions because we are recording that in a live scenario. There was a film crew and stuff there. Everything was, well, there was a few times we had to do retakes of things, but we were working with a strict schedule, you know, mm-hmm. of uh, bands had to be in and away very quickly in certain time slots. So there wasn't a lot of room for doing things over or, you know, so we had to ensure that if something went down on the recording end of things, that we had a few backups there to save us. And um, we, I think one of the things was we had a wee Tascam multi-track recorder coming out of one of the sands, um, just recording out of the desk. And so uh, I thought that that was something useful to have, even though the recordings ended up turning out fine anyway we had that as a backup in case anything were to happen yeah certainly um though the backup recorder recorded what comes off the desk at the time um which is very much mixed for the room so although it would have sounded grand having the multi-track there and being able to mix those independently in a more controlled environment means that they translate it much better you have to give a shout out to the brendan and the video team too because what they put together was very slick looking um the quality of the recording was fantastic and the sync on the sound was just was perfect even watching it back it was such a, a kind of fluid thing that you kind of forget of how long that recording took and how saxon it was it seemed very natural mm-hmm. and very flowing so shout out to them lads um one of the things that i suppose i learned was that recording for tv which is what different recording for live is that you do have that extra 20 minutes to make sure that things are set up right before the tape roll um and so that was very lovely to be more engaged and talk with the artist um instead of maybe at a live scenario where you've got a, a different number of bands coming in and things have to be kind of set up and adapted to quite quickly. We had the ability to, to, to line check and to make sure that the artists were happy with what they were hearing before any audience would receive that broadcast. So that was very That's refreshing. Sweet. It was very nice. Um, yeah, uh, it, it was a sort of, it was a privilege that we had as a result of not having an audience there was that yeah. we had a much quicker uh, line of communication with the artist just be able to quickly say you know is this okay you know without having to go back and forward or set up a talkback mic or anything so and of course that would be the, the privilege of having if you were doing a show with a band and you were the regular engineer and you did sound check in the afternoon and then the show in the evening that's grand but a lot of events locally don't really work like that and especially for up and coming bands where people kind of turn up 10 minutes before they're supposed to be on stage and you have to adapt to what's going on there and um, so it was lovely to be in that environment where we had the time, we had the communication, and I think off the back of that then it was a much 
um, more enjoyable experience. It was definitely more enjoyable to watch it back. It was fun to share stories about how those things came about, but I thought each of the artists were very engaging anyway and very good to listen to. Um, I, I tell you what I won't miss though. Um, those standing on those marble floors for that wasn't enjoying. God, my life the next I day. I felt like an old man. Like, oh, my hips sore. And like, listen to you. Um, right, so that moves on then. So, uh, getting the chance to, to be out in Clannard again, a uh, fantastic experience doing some live sound stuff. Uh, DJing and performing at the weekend, it's nice to get out and be amongst actual humans again. And we obviously are in the recording space, so this week we've been testing out the equipment and we've had some very talented um, local younger performers in just testing out the space and making sure everything's sweet. So we did a couple of recordings in just to make sure that the equipment's all working again fine. And it's lovely to be in and have humans to interact with and, and get recorded on. So uh, yesterday I had a few sessions on and it was nice just to work through that uh, and refine that rate. Because no matter what, when you're away for something for 12 weeks, you're going to get a bit rustier at it. So it was nice to come in and refresh myself. And now we're moving forward with how do we book clients in. Um, so if you're interested in coming into the space, whether that be for mixing in this controlled environment or recording in the, the space behind us through our Pro Tools HD rig, uh, then by all means get in touch with their contact details all over the links here that you can reach out to us. Um, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was our free plugin. And I had said to Sean, uh, I think it was last week, that I'd seen a link that Waves were giving away MV2. Uh, Max Volume 2, which is a two-slater plugin that's fantastic for bringing up really quiet sounds. But when I went to look for the link this morning, the internet was confused. I didn't know what I was talking about. So I'm not sure if that's going to be available by the time this goes out. So instead of that, we're going to highlight a free app. There's not necessarily a plugin, but an app for your phone that is absolutely essential in my opinion if you're setting up any kind of mixing space. Now we've got a question in from John Buller about setting up studio spaces and about listening environments at home and this is going to be kind of, it'll meet both of those things. Uh, so John had asked about setting up a mixing environment and how to hear that and the one thing that, that's very important is your speaker position. So um, on the KRK app, which is an app that comes that for the generation four of their speakers, you can sync it with your speaker and it, it does all sorts of fancy inter technology. However, it works with any set of speakers. There's a couple of different features on this thing. The first thing you can do is load it up and it'll tell you how much volume is coming out of each speaker. So just because you set your speaker set on 10 on both speakers doesn't mean that they're coming into the same volume. So the left one may be three decibels louder than the right one. And that kind of throws off your perception about which one's louder or how your panel works or your mm -hmm. room may be adding in something different to that too. So this, this is a really good utility to make sure the sound coming out of each speaker is the same frequency content and the same volume. It also has, is it, is it called the gyrometer, where it, it tells you kind of which angle things are sitting at? Mm. The way it works, you put it on top of your speaker, your speaker is facing the back wall. Sorry, my screen's in reverse, so this is a little bit strange for me. Uh, you're, you're facing the back wall, and then it tells you to tilt it by 30 degrees. It's like then, 3D here, Craig. <laughs> no, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, so it allows you then to put things into, uh, or put you into the sweet spot. So that puts you into the mixing sweet spot. So 30 degrees in, left and right, puts you in the sweet spot. It means you can hear most accurately the sound coming off the speakers. It also might, there's got pink noise in there, so you can measure your levels and measure the sound decibels. Um, it's a very, very useful app, and I would advise everyone to get it. Uh, if you Google it on the Play Store, if you Google it on the um, the App Store, if you're on Mac, uh, you'll be able to download it for free. Um, we'll put a wee video of me scrolling through it there, so, um, and a link below. 
Uh, it's very useful for anyone setting up a mixing space, uh, no matter if you're at home or if you're, even if you're in a, a public space um, that's accessible to the public. Um, have you any free plugins that you've come across of late, Sean, that are, are worth note? Not, not really, Craig. <laughs> Actually, I haven't, uh, haven't been on the hunt uh, in the last wee while. I've been just using what I have. Yes, it's very interesting too because at, at a certain point you stop looking for free plugins and you start looking for plugins that do a good job. Mm. Does that make sense? So like once you get a, a good set of strong tools, there's a greater need in you to learn how to use those tools properly than to get new tools. Um, and I think that's one of the, that's how you know you've kind of matured from someone who's messing about with audio to someone who wants to work and craft and develop a skill in that. Um, and that's why I was thinking if the Waves MV2 link, and if we can't find it, we will include it. Um, but that's a, a very useful tool. It's especially good on reverb for the, the kind of quiet end of a reverb tail. You can just increase the, the low level volume, which makes it much more forward and much more um, perceivable in a mix. It's a very useful plugin that way. Um, so that's the KRK app and MV2. MV2, of course, is generally about $30 on Wavesite. Uh, so if you are interested, by all means, download that one, check that out. Um, and if it's free, happy days, and we'll share the link. Um, so what are, moving on then, Sean, we've done the overcoming. Uh, we've done, have we done what's inspiring you? Have I asked you that yet? Um, we've done that, but um, we haven't answered our other question from viewer, which was, uh, what makes a good mix? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, um, what way would you answer that one? Well, this is an interesting one. Um, I'm going to rephrase the question a bit to what makes a mix interesting for me because I think that's a good place to start. Anytime you're, you're making quality or value judgments, you have to qualify who's making the judgment in the first place to make it important. Um, so for me, um, I've heard a lot of good functioning mixes that, that do a job very well but are maybe a wee bit bland, a wee bit kind of uninteresting. And I've heard a lot of really raucous and rough sound mixes that just contain a sense of energy that's very engaging. So a good mix isn't necessarily a clean mix. I think that's the point I'm making with that. Um, it isn't necessarily something that um, is clinical and precise. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of finesse in that as a mixing skill engineer if you can get things to sound open and white and transparent. Um, but I think it was Royal Blood, the first time I heard Royal Blood, it was like the white stripes on steroids. It was like, listen to all this. Um, but there wasn't a lot going on. It was very thrashy and it had loads of energy. Um, yeah. It may also have been the headphones that I was listening to at the time too, but the, when the mix translated, it didn't translate as clean. It didn't translate as precise. It translated as energetic and raucous and aggressive. Mm -hmm. So a good mix, I suppose, is a mix that supports the story narrative, whatever that be, if that's about aggression or lust or anger or frustration, then the mix has to represent the, the message of the song. And sometimes if you're making techno, there's no necessarily message in the song, it's just aggressive sound in time. But the mix has to serve what's going on in the story of that song for me. Does that make sense? Was that a bunch of Yeah, words? no, here, I, I, I like that one. Um, I think for me, a good mix uh, comes from a consensus. Um, and what I mean by that is often enough, in a project you're working um, with at least, you know, two other people or, well, mm -hmm. even sometimes not. But I think showing the mix to as many people, you know, whose ears you trust as possible is, um, 
you know, what's going to get the best mix out of you and taking that, uh, their opinions on board. Because if other people, if the vast majority of people are listening to that mix and saying, yeah, it's a good mix there. Uh, or if they've given you feedback before on it and then you send them it back and they say, yeah, that's more like it. And you send it to a couple more people, you know, democracy. Mm-hmm. If, if enough people are saying, yeah, that's sounding great. You know, I like the mix then, you know, that there's, there's your answer. You know, it must, it must be doing something right. I understand that. But my resistance to that one is my mother has never heard a song and thought, I love that mix. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, if you send it to people, it needs to be people who are qualified to listen to the mix as a "What's wrong with my mix?" scenario. And yeah. it's better to do that with the kind of two or three trusted people than it is to kind of send it out to a committee, um, because anything by committee generally turns out to be what's the word? Um, a kind of uh, a compensation where everyone gets a wee bit of what they want instead of there being a kind of one decision. But mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think having trusted ears is very important. Um, I think having a good communication with the person who wants the track mixed is part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the If you're mixing as a mixer for a client, I think the, the biggest mistake you can make is run, running clean through and making a sound as awesome as you can and setting it off and expecting that client to be as in love with it as you are because there's a bit of ego involved in it when you're doing it you're like yes i've got this to sound awesome they're gonna love this send it off they're like that's not close to our brief and then you have to start again so it's the case of it's always about the communication um which is probably why it makes it a bit difficult for people to mix their own stuff too because there's a couple of really top level decisions that need made about um what's the sound, what's the genre, what's your intent, what are you going for? And sometimes they aren't made by bands until they're forced to make it. And sometimes that's not even conversations that come up during the songwriting. Like, how do we approach the mix here? It's not part of the songwriting, you know? So it's a, it's a different mind frame to be in and there's a different outcome from that creative process. So what makes a good mix is kind of serving the song and it's the same with songwriting too what's the message of the song and that's why you know you could write a song idea but ultimately you could develop it and add more instrumentation and make it bigger for the sake of it but if you're serving the narrative of the song you're always going to be increasing the quality of the storytelling i think yeah. that's that's where i'm at I, would that sound daft that that's how no. oh yeah absolutely <laughs> serve the song yep um and it that even goes for performing as well you know you you get guitarists and drummers who like to embellish every bit of space that they can but you know it sometimes best to hold back and and just listen to what the song needs um there's a cracking video on youtube of um uh this you know drummer uh who's taken like a workshop and uh, or like a, a master class on drumming and he talks about the genius of ringo star and everybody starts laughing because, you know, he's typically not known as one of the best drummers um, in the world. But he says, no, Ringo Starr wasn't the most technical drummer in the world, but he served every song perfectly, you know. Um, wasn't always playing. He played what he needed to. Yeah. And, uh, and the way he demonstrates that is fantastic. Uh, I don't know the name of it, but search that up on YouTube. It's a fantastic clip. Uh, if you can find it, stick the link down below, sure, um, and we can yeah, all show that one. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I think drummers are, are probably my uh, 
first finger pointed victim when it comes to people who fill in maybe unnecessary space. Um, and I think it's because drummers want to kind of, they've only got things to hit. I'm sorry drummers. But uh, sometimes then they put in extra rolls and extra bits that don't really need to be there. Um, and that sometimes that may be nerves, sometimes it may be just pure energy and I can't wait to go. Um, and sometimes it may just be the fact that I would imagine as a drummer you've only got certain places that you can really let go, you know, and really give it your give it your all. Um, and having an opportunity to record that, you want to peacock as much as possible. Um, but sometimes it takes a, a lesser performance in order to serve the song that way. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Drummers, get back to me. What do you think? Uh, is it necessary to have a, a snow roll every eight bars? Um, does every tom need to be hit on the road? Um, let me know how that works out. I'm not a drummer, but help educate me. Um, so uh, I think that's come and closed about all we've got for this week, uh, this month. Sorry, uh, Sean, have you anything further to add? Um, no, just go and uh, like the Amp Studio uh, socials, follow yep. us on there, yep. and um, and give a listen to Radio YNP. Um, and this will be broadcasting on the station, and uh, check out some of the other content we have on over there. Yep, thanks very much. Thanks for staying with us to the end. Um, all the links for the shows are going to be underneath. Uh, links to the previous shows are going to be underneath. Uh, and we'll catch you again. Of course, remember, we're on Facebook. Uh, I'm Studio. Uh, join the podcast group. Get involved with any discussion that's going on there. And let us know what you think of this episode. Uh, are any of our opinions completely off the wall? Watch out, drummers. Um, or uh, are we bang on what we say? It's be interesting to hear what you're saying. So until next month, I'm Craig Sheridan. This is uh, with Sean McDonald. And uh, this is the Am Studio podcast.